The reading this morning is from Psalm chapter 78, verses 1 to 4. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. This is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, just take a moment to pray. Yeah, Father, thank you that you can speak to us even through 3,000-year-old words. And uh, Lord, I thank you for the impact of those words through many, many generations. And Lord, may we hear afresh this morning what you want to say to us. And give us soft hearts, Lord, um, so that we can um, hear and not just understand, but actually understand um, who to be and how to live as we go into this week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great. So, um, oh, my, my screens were up. There they are. Brilliant. I've got a question for you. So here's, here's the question. If you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Um, turn to the person next to you just for a moment and have a go at that question. If you could go back and give yourself, your younger self, one bit of advice, what would it be? You've just got about a minute, so don't agonize over this, all right? Okay, just before the battery runs out, I'm going to come around with a microphone. Stick your hand up if, if, the, if the piece of advice that the other person just shared with you you think is a good bit of advice and you don't think they'd mind you sharing it. Let's hear a couple. Come on. I'm going to pick on a curate if I can't see anyone else. Let's, let's hear a few of these. Yeah, piece of advice. Just be yourself. Oh. I think, oh, the microphone has just died at this moment. Is it, or is it the handheld? Is it there? It might just be it's been turned down. Just be yourself. There you go. Just be yourself. Excellent. All right. Thank you. Oh, somebody over on this side. Any, any advice? That to... Try not to worry. Try not to worry. Yes. Okay. Anyone, anyone a bit further back? Laura? Uh, be brave. Be brave. Okay. Like that. Just be yourself. Try not to worry. Be brave. Any of the teen? I know we've got the teenagers in today. You, you have a younger self as well. Is there anything you'd go back? I know some of you have just started secondary school. Like, what? Any advice you would pass on to your younger self? All right, I'll leave you. It's okay. We've got youth group tonight, so we can discuss it then. All right, with your, with your wisdom. I'll put that back. So, um, I guess you could say that whatever that bit of advice was, whether, whatever the theme or the subject, we all probably feel that there are things that we could have done with knowing 
um, when we were younger, things that we would have been better off being aware of or protected from perhaps or steered towards. And if we'd had more time, I'd um, go around again and ask you about what the best piece of advice you were given when you were young, but maybe that's something you can kind of go and discuss over lunch. We are in the middle of a teaching series looking this term at the mission of the church. Just to explain, because I know um, we have a lot of visitors here today. Once again, great to have you here. And the idea is that our vision as Christians uh, to become disciples or students, apprentices of Jesus, we would say today, that vision plays out in us seeking to do what Jesus himself did, to continue his work in the world. And to that end, the Diocese of London, of which we are a part, has created this Capital Vision 2030, um, for the writing's a bit small, but at the top of that pyramid you have, for every Londoner to experience the love of God in Christ. That's what we want to do. That's what Jesus wanted people to experience, his love. And I hope in some small way by being here this morning, you, all of us, will experience something of God's love for you. And within that vision, um, every church has been asked to identify a few kind of key missional priorities. We've got three. Um, firstly, to develop our practice of welcome and connection. We want everyone who comes uh, to receive a warm welcome. I hope you did this morning. But beyond that kind of initial welcome, we want um, people to become part of this rich, diverse family of God, the multi-ethnic, multilingual body of Christ as envisioned in the Bible by Jesus and his first followers. Um, second, to develop our work and ministry with children and young people. That's what we're looking at today. And third, to renew our ministry and mission with Ivy Bridge, which is a, a, a very precious part of our parish. So this morning then, I want to look um, briefly at this diocesan goal of growing younger. Um, you'll have seen it there in the, the pyramid. We're working our way through this. It's one of the priorities, that kind of light blue strip on, on there. We've got younger. Next week, we're looking at safer. And then, oh no, next week, we're looking at more racially diverse. And then the week after, safer. So this, in the language of our own mission action plan, is about investing in our work with children and young people. And I say sort of, we'll look at that briefly, because there is so much to be said about this topic. Um, my background, as many of you know, is youth work. I, I currently head up the youth ministry here. Um, difference is I used to have 40 hours a week to do that, and now I've only got kind of two or three hours at best to do that, which isn't that much. But this morning, I want to um, take, I should probably mention, there's an incredible volunteer team, um, which is uh, what makes up a lot of that deficit. But this morning, I want to take you back around 3,000 years um, to a part of the part of the world that we call Israel and Palestine today. It's the setting for our reading, Psalm 78. And there is a, a, a poignancy that I don't think we can avoid, that we're reading the words of somebody, a worship leader, Asaph was who longed for the next generation to be blessed, to know God's goodness in that land against the horrors that are happening to so many children and young people today in that part of the world. It is truly heartbreaking. This is his song. My people, hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. Things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. 
So Asaph is talking about things that were passed on to him, to his generation, by their parents and grandparents down the generations. It's the formational bedrock of his life passed down to him. We will not hide them from their descendants. This is probably the key verse here, verse 4. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. And what we're seeing here is this kind of sense of calling that Asaph has, this responsibility, really, to pass on the baton to a new generation. Israel's history in this, in this time was this kind of story of high points and low points, high points when they remembered God and they followed his ways, which led to blessing. And then low points when they turned away, which they did frequently, leading to kind of conflict and destruction. That's this repeated cycle we see in the Old Testament, right up to and including Jesus' day. And this is the message of the whole psalm. It's uh, quite a long psalm, actually, um, telling the next generation to remember God. Beyond anything else the older generation has to offer, all good advice and counsel, the key thing for Asaph is to teach them to know God and to follow his ways. In later language, we might say to become disciples. So let's talk about young people in the world that they inhabit today. It's no exaggeration to say that the current generation of young people are the most anxious generation on record with unprecedented rates of mental health problems, including eating disorders, self-harm and suicidal thoughts. This is not in dispute and it's not just down to greater awareness. There is greater awareness and that's great. But this is um, what everybody is saying, what all the research is pointing to. And we talked about this before, how the current kind of cocktail of digital consumerist individualism is wreaking havoc. And this is what the experts say. You know, let me just ask uh, uh, some of us who grew up before the advent of smartphones, would you rather be growing up when you did or now? I mean, honestly. And the truth is, and I say this as a parent, I don't have all the answers. I, you know, I don't know who has seen this advert you know, by EE recently. Maybe you have. It's their attempt to kind of portray some of the complexity and the problems that young people face with mobile phones. And they're sort of doing it under an attempt to make things a little bit better. It's quite mild stuff, but it's still pretty terrifying in its own way. Our best attended event last year was our Parenting in a Digital Age evening when my good friend Jason from the Suster Youth Trust came and shared some insight and wisdom. I'm hoping he's going to come back and join us next term. And this stuff is so big and so complex, and it's changing and evolving all the time. So what does faith, our faith, have to say to that? I think it's a vital message. The gospel message says you are not defined by your Instagram likes. You are not defined by your TikTok views or your physical appearance. You the real, unfiltered you is not just light, not just viewed, but you are loved. You are loved by a God who is bigger than it all, who has plans and a calling over your life, who defines you by his love, not your loveliness, who bought you at a price through Jesus' death and resurrection and will never leave you and never forsake you. That's the gospel. That's what we have to tell the next generation. That's what they most need to know. 
But that's hard, and um, in recent years, it's been getting harder. You know, the, the current young generation is the most absent generation from the church, perhaps, ever. Um, before the pandemic, one in three churches had no under-16s. So the third of churches, no under-16s. Another one in three had less than five under-16s. So in having more than five young people, that puts us in a minority of churches. But since the pandemic, that number has gone down which is why the diocese has this focus on this um, and is concentrating on it so much. Because for centuries, each generation has told the next generation about the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, as Asaph put it. But currently, we're on track for that chain to be broken within a generation. This isn't about preserving an institution. Um, you know, the church was around long, long before it was an institution. In most parts of the world, it's not an institution. It's about a biblical mandate to pass on to our children what was passed on to us for their sake, because they need to know this. So what should we do about it? Well, let's start with today. Can you see um, what baptizing little children means in this context? You know, baby Mateo um, has just been baptized into the family of the church. And as a church, we have committed to doing just this, sharing Jesus with him as he grows telling him about God's power and his love for him. And, um, you know, we could look through the baptism register and we could see the names of dozens of children who have been baptised at All Souls over the years, many of whom are here today. Isn't that wonderful? But we have to avoid the mistake of thinking that having a crowd is the same thing as making disciples, which is what Jesus really tells us to do. A bustling youth or children's group is not the guarantee of discipleship, which is why I think some of the stats about children and attendance can miss the point a little bit. In fact, I think some of the research shows that uh, children who are in small groups in, in church, and uh, there are fewer children, are more likely to become lifelong disciples. Let me explain. You may be wondering why I chose to interview Tina uh, about embracing age on the day that I'm preaching about growing younger. And I think we made the joke before, yes, if the church really is committed to growing younger, then it's very simple. We just need to ask anyone over the age of 40 to stop coming. Then we've grown younger, haven't we? Um, that's not what I'm asking for, please. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that even this kind of having this priority of growing younger sounds something of a, a kind of an ageist pursuit. But it's not, and, and this is why I don't think it isn't. The church is one of the only places which regularly brings together the generations. It's uh, pretty unique in that. And that's no accident because we read in Psalm 78 that the older generation have this vital part to play in passing it on to the next. It's a, a key part of the role description of being an older disciple. When I was doing my studies in youth and community development, I conducted a research project around what gives people their sense of significance. And uh, the research I, I set up involved taking some um, vulnerable young people that I was working with at the time into a care home where I was doing a, a kind of a three-month placement. And what I found in bringing these two very different generations together is that they thrived on each other's attention. The young people felt valued and listened to by the older people and vice versa. Each of them saw that they had something to 
positive to give and to receive. And it struck me so much that I reoriented the youth ministry at the, the church I was working at to connect the generations better. We um, created these kind of cards, almost like top trump cards, but not, um, featuring information about different young people in our church. And, and with their permission, we, we gave them to the older members of the church who used them to pray for the young people in the church. And through this, some of the older people in the church, people in their 70s and 80s, became essentially part of the youth team. Um, they would run refreshments. They would just do what they could. They became invested. Forgive me um, if I've told you this story before. The picture, um, lady in this picture is called Dallas Noble. Um, she became uh, part of the youth team, really, in her late 80s. She was uh, fearless and a slightly eccentric disciple of Jesus. Her hair was always a different color. It's orange there, which I, as a Luton fan, thoroughly approve of. Um, and uh, she just answered this call to help, and she very quickly became part of the furniture of that group. Um, in that picture, she's holding Leo, who was born to... It was, this was quite a rough area of Luton. We, uh, this youth group bred its own next generation. Um, Leo was a member of that. He's, he's one of my godchildren. A few years on, uh, Dallas, aged 90 now, was taken into hospital where she lay mostly unconscious, um, reaching that kind of point of end-of-life care. And uh, a number of the young people visited her and left cards um, uh, uh, for her. And on the day of her funeral, uh, the front two rows of the church were filled with about a dozen or so young people who had bunked off school to be at her funeral. Dallas's nephew, um, she had no children of her own, read out some of the messages that some of those young people had written about Dallas and the impact that she'd had on them and how she had shared her faith with them. I think it was probably my favorite memory of youth ministry, strange though it sounds, being at a funeral. One thing we all have in common, every single one of us, is that we are getting older. Every single one of us. Matteo, age one. It's his birthday today, isn't it? I realized that when we read the baptism register. Happy birthday, Matteo. Um, he's one day older today. Beryl, age 90. She's one day older today. One thing we also have in common is that the Bible calls on us to invest in the next generation, to do all we can to tell those coming after the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. So a few applications then to finish. Um, first, prepare to be uncomfortable. Prepare to be uncomfortable. Uh, a kind of commitment to in, intergenerational church and work um, a commitment to youth and children and accommodating them and investing them in them. It sounds idyllic, and it rarely is. Um, you know, those of us who are reading the New Testament together in a year online, uh, about 15 of us are doing that. We're in the midst of the epistles or letters, all written by uh, the early apostles to churches who are getting it wrong and falling out and feeling grumpy with each other. And the truth is, doing things together as we do in all our services, but particularly in our all-in services, calls for patience and forbearance from every generation. You know, some of you older folk may be thinking, seriously, another song with actions. Um, you know, some of you younger ones may be thinking, actually, seriously, another song with action. Um, you know, maybe some of the younger folk are thinking, seriously, you know, you're just, you might be thinking this right now. Sitting and listening to someone talk for 20 minutes is not our learning style. Parents are just thinking, please let this end soon because <laughs> the wheels are falling off. I've been there. The Bible tells us to bear with one another, which suggests it's a challenge, right? 
that doesn't necessarily come naturally. That means being uncomfortable together rather than comfortable and separate. You know, I think that's a good reminder in that, that we can all be uncomfortable together on these very hard wooden pews. Um, and let's take Matteo for, uh, as an example. How do we as a church teach him about God's goodness? Well, we do it when we worship. You know, our kids are quite often in for our worship time. Songs are powerful formational tools. And uh, it's good for them to get used to seeing us worship Jesus and start to join in. We do it through our children and our youth groups. Once again, we owe a huge debt of gratitude to our kids' teams. We really give of our best people to those ministries. But I'd love us to be thinking as a church about, in the coming year, about what we might be able to do in terms of kind of better resourcing those volunteers. I can't talk about this subject without mentioning the amazing Lizzie Rice, uh, our former children and families pastor who, who died earlier this year. You know, her legacy continues, is continuing right now. The kids' team are still using the uh, teaching materials that she developed. And I have to say that having run the Glow in the Dark party earlier this week, the office is perhaps the most well-equipped and organized resource cupboards on the planet. It's incredible. There's so much stuff you can grab from there. The impact that Lizzie had in those few hours that she worked here was incredible. We do it as parents, we do it as grandparents and uncles and aunts when we pray with, or as godparents, or we pray with or for our children, or we read the Bible with them. You know, um, youth and children's team volunteers or members will have an average of around 40 hours a year with a a child. Parents have an average of around 3,000 hours with their children per year. We need to equip parents to share their faith. You know, there are a lot of good resources out there. Come and talk to me if you want to be part of a conversation about how you can do that. In fact, come and talk to me if you want to think about any part you might want to play in this theme of telling the next generation. We are so blessed with the number of kids and teenagers God has entrusted to us. Let's talk to them about Jesus, not hide Jesus from them, as Asaph might have said. Let's make that one bit of advice that they were grateful to have been given the knowledge that God loves them and has plans for them.